Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Azora Paknat, founder and CEO of Gold Dune. Gold Dune is like Amazon reinvented around sustainability and inclusivity. And that manifests starting with their tagline, making sustainability less beige. And what they mean by this is being able to shop sustainable for things in your home, lifestyle, your medicine cabinet, without the granola. And inclusivity manifests by prioritizing women and BIPOC-owned brands on the site. And so in the episode, Azora and I will discuss the original eureka moment for Gold Dune and what gave her the confidence to leave her executive role at Food52 and launch the startup. How she managed to get the marketplace off the ground in the thick of the pandemic. How exactly the operations work behind the scenes, pioneering this notion of the sustainability spectrum and how this manifests in the criteria for allowing and not allowing certain products on the site. And finally, the moonshot opportunity for a company like Gold Dune. So without further ado, I'm so excited for y'all to listen to this conversation with Azora Paknad, founder and CEO of Gold Dune. Azora, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. So Azora, I was doing some digging before the show and right off the bat, the tagline for your company making sustainability less beige. Let's start there. What is your company and why the tagline? Good place to start. So Goldoon is a new sustainable e-commerce retailer and our focus, like our mission really is making sustainability less beige. And I mean that obviously both in the abstract because it's quippy and fun, but also in a really literal sense, right? Like sustainability still feels super granola. A lot of the time it's a huge privilege to care about how you shop or to get to even have the mental space to care about sustainability as a consumer. But for some reason, a lot of the product and the customer experience still feels like a sacrifice, right? Like it's almost like deprivation, like you're on a diet, a crash diet, if you try to go zero waste. I didn't feel like that was a very inclusive way to go forward, like leading with beige, that baseline standard and more of a greater culture of all or nothing or shame or deprivation around sustainability. And I felt like by 2020, which is when I started the company, I felt like we deserved better as far as design goes, right? It's 2020. Why is design not yet caught up to sustainability? And shouldn't we be focused on that for the decade ahead? So those are some of the things that were swimming in my brain when (laughs) we got started. But ultimately, when I say less beige, less beige in a product sense, in a design sense, in a content sense, and also pretty importantly, in an inclusivity sense. So I I felt Mm -hmm. like that primarily beige, like aesthetic that people kind of mark as aspirational, right? You've seen the influencer. She's white. She's wearing like very expensive hemp pants. She's got the all beige house. It's gorgeous. It's probably in Venice. (laughs) And it's that's quote unquote aspirational, right? I, I was like, is it? And for who? And what does that say about what we think is aspirational or what social media reinforces as aspirational? To me, that meant building inclusivity into our business model. So we prioritized working with brands and products that are made by women and BIPOC founders and business leaders and also in our design and our messaging. So lots of different answers to your question <laughs> in short. All of the above resonates. What I love to better understand is how you parlayed this broader observation and the frustration into this specific business. So Mm -hmm. what is the Goldoon business today 
and how do those observations or counterexamples come to life in the core business today? Ooh, okay. Another juicy loaded question. I'll try to be concise. Not my, not always my strength, but I, I think, so f- first of all, on a sheerly, like a very tactical, simple level, the what the business and what Gold Dune is, we're an e-commerce retailer and we carry only sustainable products. They go through a pretty extensive vetting process by me. <laughs> and we're really focused on home lifestyle and your medicine cabinet is our, our main three categories. Those were just the arenas where, you know, as a, before I was a founder, when I was just a shopper, <laughs> those were the places where I, I had the hardest time actually just finding sustainable products I was looking for. We have some amazing clean beauty retailers that are focused on sustainability or packaging and food. Also got some retailers who are really focused on those things, maybe not sustainability exclusively, but you know, it's, it's a little easier to find what you need there. And for home, I felt lost, right? There's so many home retailers and it's so impossible to know (laughs) if any of them are sustainable. There's a little bit of green marketing and greenwashing happening, but I felt lost. So those are the places I wanted to start. And those are the categories we serve right now. And then as far as the ways that (laughs) lack of beigeness or brightness or joy or inclusivity make their way into what we do and who we are. I think in all sorts of ways. So before there even was a brand, it was important for me to build it into that business model. So we really do prioritize trying to source product majorly, (laughs) I don't know the word, mostly from (laughs) women and BIPOC founders or business owners. And right now we're really transparent about where we're at. So right now we're at 77% women founded brands. And I think we're at 43% BIPOC-led brands. And we just, we update that like on a monthly basis on our site. It lives there 100% of the time. You can check whenever you want. And our goal is to to make it over the that 50% mark by June. And I think, honestly, I think we're going to hit it. I'm looking at the calendar from an April perspective. Wow. I, th- I think we're going to do it. But that, that was super important, like day one. You see a lot of brands who are like, okay, let's make sure we do a diverse casting call. And that to me comes after the foundation of the business, not before and I think it's also worth noting that I started Goldoon in June 2020. So like we were having as a nation, a lot of conversations about equity and inclusivity and diversity and what all of those things mean. And I saw so many businesses scrambling to retrofit their business for values. And I, I was like, okay, well, one of the small perks of starting business in 2020, if there are any, was that I wasn't retrofitting. We got to actually just build it into the model from day one. So that's super important to me. And then I, I think there are other ways that inclusivity or brightness and, and diversity sort of factor into our approach to design or to content. And One of those, I think besides visually, I know we're recording audio, so you can't see, but if you do ever look at our social, you do ever look at our site, it's super bright. It's not beige. It's not granola. There's not a Tiva in sight, (laughs) no hemp. It's very different. (laughs) And I think partially part of that is like making space for people who will never feel at home in those environments or who will never identify Mm -hmm. with that aesthetic, which I think is a lot of people. (laughs) I don't have data, but I'm pretty Uh sure it's a lot of people. And then beyond that too, I think, again, acknowledging openly what a privilege it is to, to do any of this or have space or time or bandwidth to care about any of this. And also acknowledging that to date, it's a privilege that's felt like a sacrifice. But in doing that, I think for us, it was really important that we create a lot of content. So we try to do 
as much by way of creating free resources or free content that we can and and making those open and accessible on social. And we've got Mm -hmm. a Facebook group where we can share those things too. And and like to have a conversation with our community that doesn't gatekeep based on how much they spend, or you don't, you don't have to be like a frequent customer to be a VIP, right? (laughs) You can still be important Mm -hmm. and valued part of our community. And we can still, while we can't necessarily give you that experience that we're able to give customers, we can still share our POV, share our design ethos, share our, our point of view when it comes to making things feel warmer and more accepting and more joyful and less like shame and gloom and doom focused. We can do that by For way sure. of content and make it free and, and give things away. And so that's a lot of what we do while we are an e-commerce company. I think content is a pretty important part of making us feel more accessible, right? Beyond just trying to be different range of price points. Uh-huh. Yeah, it- what I think is really interesting and a trend that y'all seem to be early on, it's a wave that'll last for a while, is this notion of curating. There's too many everything stores. And the problem <laughs> with the everything store is you just end up underserving most people. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about this, especially as we've become much more conscious around the types of businesses we want to put on the show being much more cognizant around what are the implications, even just seeing a company name in the episode title, starting to understand what that signal is when you start filtering Mm -hmm. or people expect you to filter for certain values. And then they just by default assume, oh, this must fit a certain criteria set. I That just whole thinking around the power of curation and serving people that align with the set of values is rings very true to how we think about creating media here. What I want to do, though, because there's a lot of detail I want to unpack, is to rewind back to the first mile. Mm -hmm. So your business is actually quite challenging because you have one part of it, which is like telling the world, hey, we're here. And then you have the classic cold start problem. You need to build supply. You need to show (laughs) people that when people come to your site, there's all these brands that you can shop from. So talk us through the first mile. What gave you the confidence, the leap of faith to leave your job at Food52? in a really influential role? And then what did those first couple steps look like in the Goldoon story? I have a super 2020 answer. <laughs> I know that there's like a clean, polished version I could give that would gloss over <laughs> maybe the reality, but I don't, I'm like very into being radically honest just because I, I think it's a solo founder. I'm so, I I don't know if you feel this way, but so done with that narrative of the shiny female founder who like manages to be perfectly well and do it all by herself and everything looks beautiful and amazing. That is not it. I will be completely honest behind the scenes. So I think I first, frankly, I'd I'd been at Food52 for about five years and obviously really loved my time there. Loved my team. It was very hard to leave, but I actually planned to leave in uh, really early 2020, like late 2019. And purely just because five years at a startup, especially a growing startup, like that's real. So I I thought, okay, I'm going to take a break. And I've never traveled before. Worked all through college. Had never like really done that whole study abroad vibe. And I was like, as an adult, I'm going to study abroad. (laughs) I'm going to travel the world. And I think 2020 is the year to do that. And so I quit my job. I gave them like four or five months notice. I packed up my apartment. I put everything in storage. I was like, I'm going to go to Italy in March. (laughs) Sure enough, March rolls around. I'm like, okay, I will not be going to Italy. (laughs) I will not be going anywhere for a really long time. I know. And 
So I, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm stuck in New York. I have nowhere to live. It was peak pandemic in New York. We were just realizing the dawn of what was happening was all setting in at once. And I was like, I guess I have no choice but to move back in with my parents. And so <laughs> my parents had just moved into like a, a new house in the mountains. So not thankfully, not exactly where I grew up <laughs> to school, which would have felt maybe like a direct regression. This felt like kind of a fun, a different vibe. And yeah, I, I did that. I moved with my parents, <laughs> moved back home, the total opposite of what I envisioned for myself. Like I, I thought I'd be like smoking cigarettes in the piazza, having an espresso, <laughs> reading a book. And instead I was like, nope, I'm at home. I, I have like maybe two more months left at my job and then I'm out and that's it. And so I, I worked remotely from my parents' basement for a minute. And then after I, I winded things down and was like unemployed and, and pausing for the first time in what felt like ever <laughs> since I was a teenager, I was like, okay, I got to do something different here. And I really didn't want to start a company. I was like actually very allergic to the idea. And I think it's my parents are serial entrepreneurs. So I'd seen a lot of the, we see a lot of the ups in media. I'd seen a lot of the downs and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that's for me in my twenties. I, I had this idea that I had to be at like a different level of success or a different point in my career. or Like mm -hmm. I needed to be Instagram famous. It feels like those are the things you need to be successful sometimes. I, I held off and I, I had this great idea and I loved it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was keeping me up at night and I would wake up and I'd, I'd have like more thoughts about it and I'd write them down. But I was like, no, you, you absolutely can't do this. This is a bad idea. Don't do this. Bad year, bad timing, bad idea. And I, I think honestly, what slowly happened was just over time was like, I'm thinking about this full time, like I'm working on this full time without working on it. At, at what point do I just say, all right, like I'm doing this. Yeah. Let's rip the bandaid off and just do it. And so one day I flipped the switch and I, I like never went back on those doubts or like the wiffle waffling of should I, shouldn't I? Is it a good time? Is it a bad time? It's never a good time. Whatever. You'll never be ready. So uh -huh. here we are. But then wow. that was June 2020. And so I had, I knew I wanted to launch before Q4 being, you know, an e-commerce person. I was like, I'm not missing holiday. I knew I wanted uh -huh. to launch before the election because I frankly had no idea what was going to happen. I was very nervous. And so I had from June to October to turn around an MVP, turn around a product, make it all happen. And to your point, yeah, it was it was real. It was a challenge trying to get folks excited about something that didn't exist. <laughs> and I was really lucky. I, I think a lot of the brands that rolled the dice on me and that bought into what I was, you know, pitching them or, or what I believed in without a shred of evidence or anything to show them, no sight, nothing. Those brands are like some of my best sellers. Those are some real partners. Like we've been through it now. But you know, wow. it was <laughs> It was like being a salesman for sure. And I'm lucky that I was a salesperson at Food52 for quite a while before I moved closer into the retail side of things. So I don't always love meeting new people and asking them to give me millions of dollars or let me have their products, but I'm glad I've done it because <laughs> it's the most useful skill, I would say, as a, a founder. Okay. This is wild. So uh, I want to double click into that <laughs> June to October piece because mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the ask is. Are brands sending you some minimum quantity of inventory that you're storing somewhere? Is it a drop shipping approach? There's probably a lot of madness mm -hmm. that happens behind the scenes to enable Goldoon. So what's happened? It's probably changed in some capacity, but I'm wondering in those first few months, operationally, what's happening behind the scenes to make this a yes 
for brands? And then I guess, how has that stayed true through today? What's happening behind the scenes to enable Gold Dune? Ooh, what a, gosh, you're asking like the, truly the juiciest question. Okay, it is a lot. It, it was a lot. You're right. It is drop ship. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, that just essentially means that the brand holds the inventory and fulfills the order out of their warehouse rather than us buying a large quantity and hoping it sells and holding it in our own warehouse and picking and packing and sending it to you. There are obviously pros and cons to that approach. Dropship is, is what I'm familiar with from Food 52 and was a model that made sense to me starting out. It requires very little upfront risk, which was what I needed to get started. There are obviously challenges. And I, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is frankly, from a sustainability standpoint, I love that we're not buying a bunch of stuff upfront and not knowing that if we can sell it or if there's demand for it or not. And um, not heating and housing <laughs> and using electricity to store it somewhere and then pack it. But at the same time, that means that when you order something and you order products that come from multiple brands, they're shipping from different locations. So technically, like they were all going to ship to us anyway, and then we were going to ship to you. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> change the shipping route, but I, I feel like from an efficiency standpoint, not consolidating your order into one box or um, not having complete control over the packaging. Those are things that, you know, that are not super sustainable. They, they don't necessarily meet the high bar we have for sustainability. It's hard to invent like a completely new model of retail. Retail has existed for a long time. And who am I to be like, <laughs> I've solved it. I haven't solved it. I wish I could. I wish that there was a, a way and I'm sure we'll be focused on building a better way or a more sustainable retail model in the future. But that's the way we do it now. And the good news about that is that it was a little easier probably to at least get started and to get started with so many brands. Just it, was, it, it didn't require a lot of upfront cash, which is great because haven't raised a round of venture capital or anything like that. But it does on the computer side and the technology side of things require a lot of love and care and attention. And my next hire as an operations person, I'm literally, I cannot wait. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching the clock waiting for it to happen. Wow. Yeah. Something that has interested me most is in, in these types of businesses, the definitions for what each pillar of your criteria set, how that manifests is really interesting. Some people are extremely black or white. And if it doesn't fit in box A, it's disqualified out of the gate. And your approach to Criteria is really interesting and you've pioneered, I think I haven't heard of it until I saw it on your site, this idea of a spectrum and this idea that it, it is not necessarily this binary option. And I, I'd love for you to explore this notion of the sustainability spectrum and how that helps you decide what you green light on your site and say no to. Yes. I think we invented it. Not that it's like a crazy invention, like the bicycle or glasses, but <laughs> I think we came up with the sustainability spectrum. I It was a gradual process. It, it wasn't necessarily an overnight thing, but I, I noticed that particularly once I launched Goldoon and people started asking me questions. And even when we were building the site, one of the most frequent questions I got is like, what's your criteria? Like, what's the vetting process? Can you give us the simple list that you use? And I know that it's our our nature is like humans and animals to want to really simplify things and make them black or white or make them really step A, step B, step C. And I wasn't doing it that way. And, and partially I wasn't doing it that way because 
the assortment is wide. Like I'm selling everything from toilet paper to slippers to, <laughs> to some skincare. It, it's just, it's a broad spectrum. So the things that apply to a snack bar are not going to apply to your bedding. That doesn't quite make sense. And it also didn't make sense as a business that didn't even exist publicly yet to like then define these like hyper-specific lists and orientations for products we didn't even know we'd be able to get. So I didn't start with a, a like hardcore list. What I did was I just thought like rationally and I used common sense and I was like, okay, tell me everything. I, I asked a huge list of questions and I still do. The list of questions hasn't changed. It's only grown longer to anyone who wanted to be on the site or to anyone who we approached to be on the site. And I'd go through them with a fine tooth comb. I would learn as much as I could and try to figure out not just if something was a fit, but also what the end of life was, how we could make sure that we were setting the product up to be really easy for customers to use. So now what that looks like for us is a lot of our products are circular. So if you buy sheets and you decide in three years that like that's not your color anymore or you don't want them, instead of donating them, because we know that a lot of things that get donated actually end up going to landfill because you can't always sell them or find a new home for them, we'll just take them back and we'll recycle them and we'll turn them into new sheets or new material or new fabric or new product. So that's one way. And that took time to build out. Obviously not that much time because we're only six months old, but it took more time than doing that from the get-go. But as I was, I was setting that up and as I was getting those questions a lot about what's the very rigid criteria, I decided that I think we really want sustainability to be really simple and really easily definable and to be able to say, do these five things and then you will have achieved <laughs> ultimate sustainable, like personal nirvana. You will have reduced your carbon footprint. You did it. Congrats, gold star. And the reality is that's not true. We'll never know that. So much of our research and our understanding happens after the fact. Like that's how we're able to measure carbon. That's how we're able to measure these things. And I, I think for the most part, it is a spectrum. Like there, there is no you've made it moment. Like it, it doesn't happen. We're, we're all just like doing our best and falling somewhere on a spectrum. So that was true for people. I think that's true for products. I think that there are a lot of folks who are doing their best. And I, I would always so much rather work with a woman of color led brand who's maybe not gotten that biodegradable label on their packaging yet, but like the rest is in really good shape. It's made of recycled material or it's like actually a really smart bioplastic. That's a choice I make. And to me, then it's easier to put that on a spectrum than to say, this is this or that, right? Like we can say, hey, label's not biodegradable. The rest is great. We really want to support this business. We're hoping that they reach a critical order volume or quantity or a revenue inflection point that allows them to grow and invest in that really expensive biodegradable label. That process is more mm -hmm. important to me. And I, I think a spectrum is more realistic. And I think it's also, I know it's maybe not quite as easy to grasp as like a stamp of approval or a seal of approval or a checkbox for this product is vegan and, and like all of those different marks that we see on other sites. But to me, it makes more room for folks who are trying really hard and, and who might not have the capital to actually get to where they need to be on the sustainability front, but who we want to support. And that to me is also dovetails back into sort of what what our goal is when it comes to inclusivity and what that means to us and how that factors into actually like the business itself and not just the content or who we cast as a model or <laughs> any of those things. This is all actually quite compelling to me because when you think about what the what the e-retailer of the future would look like before, if you go on any of the incumbents websites today, they pretty much look like a copy paste of each other. They show a couple product images, the price point, a description and reviews. That is the template. The the thing that y'all have done, which I can imagine will also be a trendsetter, 
we'll look back on this saying, yes, is you have the end of life product describer is a default category on every product page. And what's most compelling about this feat specifically is even as someone who I, ho- I host this podcast, I do my best to shop consciously. Even when I buy products that are explicitly sustainable deodorants that are circular where you get refills, all the, the modular pieces that come with it that don't get reused in refill number two, I have no idea what to do with. <laughs> and these are companies that are purported sustainable D2C companies. This is their positioning. And as a consum- consumer of these brands, I have no idea what to do with them. And if I don't, I'm sure as hell that most people don't know what to do with them. So what y'all have done with end of life as a default qualifier or describer across your entire catalog is a huge win. You talked a little bit about the work that went into this, but I, I don't think people quite realize that this will be a thing across every e-commerce site at some point. First of all, thank you. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I hope so. I think it's a really, it's not a hard thing. Obviously it takes time to do anything. So I don't want to say it's not a hard thing, especially if you have a big assortment, but it's not like a crazy complicated or expensive thing to do to tell someone what to do with your product when they're done with it. But yeah, but you're right. Not a lot of people do it. And I hope that more do. I, th- I think one of the things I really want to do as we grow the team, and this is like a little maybe too behind the scenes, but I want to get deeper into automation and the ways that we can remind you when you're ready to throw something away, what to do with it. So like when you're done with that deodorant or when you receive that package, like you get a note from us that reminds you exactly how to dispose of those parts. So you don't have to remember what you read on the website, because I know we all read a lot of websites. Like it's hard to retain information, at least for me. I need a reminder. Like I might want to receive that text that tells me when I'm done with XYZ product that it's time and here's exactly how to do it. And we try to do this a little bit in a, a more human way. We get into it. We answer the questions. If people have product questions or like we, we have to issue replacement for something because something got damaged in shipping, we'll make sure that when that happens, we issue that replacement. We let that person know exactly how to responsibly dispose of the broken product or, or that faulty thing that got damaged on its way. Excuse me. But I think that I want to do more there. <laughs> I want to go bigger. I think that there's a lot of room to do a better job. And for us, that just comes down to there's only so many hours in the day I can do these things. But I'm hoping that as we grow, <laughs> as we hopefully raise some funding, we can get deeper into automation and how we can use it for actual sustainable good and not just whatever people use AI or automation for now. <laughs> you, you've got my wheels turning. I actually have that. Just to piggyback on the idea, I'm curious to see how much some of my thinking overlaps with yours. So there's a company called Bottomless. Mm -hmm. So their solve for smart refills is a scale, Mm -hmm. right? So they're starting with coffee. When coffee weight goes below X pounds, they send you a text and you pretty much say yes or no if you're ready for the refill. But they use weight as a pedometer or reminder Mm -hmm. and... What I imagine could work here, because I don't know if you want to introduce additional hardware into the ecosystem, but the idea, if people are purchasing from you on a consistent basis mm-hmm. and you start to learn how quickly they're using a product, it could trigger SMS messages. So that's one way that you could build reminders into that relationship. And that's actually really interesting. I'd, I'd love to see just texts as a way for even like 
ongoing, hey, text this number and it tells you what to do. Send them a picture of the product. But also another way to think about it is like over the last year, I don't know what plant app it was, but the whatever the plant photo app is where you like take a picture of it and tells you what to do. It feels like there's also another opportunity for people to use the camera and take a picture and it tells you in a super easy way how to dispose of it properly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which one makes the most sense for y'all, but you're totally right. That feels like a blue ocean that no one's really thinking about at the moment, or at least it hasn't manifested in a some type of consumer product yet. I'm curious, have you put any extra thought into how you think that opportunity manifests inside of Goldoon? For us, for sure, I think it starts with an email and an SMS trigger. As we start to really Mm -hmm. develop our own products, which we're working on now in a, a smaller capacity, like we'll roll out probably three products in the next quarter that are made by us. But like things like QR codes can accomplish that, right? Because we're manufacturing, because we're picking and packing, doing all that great stuff, we have a little bit more control over like exactly how we can remind you. But for all those products from the merchants who we work with, who we can't put a QR code on the bottom of their product, which is totally fair. I think text and email. And I I think it's honestly probably pretty simple. I I think it just requires a bandwidth that our our Scrappy team hasn't managed quite yet. But I I, I don't think it's super complicated, but I do think it's a great idea. And we talk, I don't know, I feel like the e-commerce world is so obsessed with triggers, but like, why isn't this a trigger? (laughs) Wait, okay. Azora, can we riff on an idea real quick? Yeah. So we've had a couple guests on the show. We had uh, Climate Neutral on the show. And they're really going all in and saying, hey, if you stand for something and you go through our process, you should rock the climate neutral label because it'll signal to the world that X, Y, Z. And so it feels like there is potentially an opportunity to create the QR, like the entry point for end of life where you have this massive database that references essentially what is your local waste management capability set. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it reverse engineers from there. So you have this like massive database that says, hey, you live in this zip code. Maybe it automatically looks at your IP address and says, hey, you're in the zip code. It knows what your local capabilities are. Then you scan a QR code and all D2C companies just sign up. They tell you what the product SKU, what ingredients or materials are in this particular product SKU. Mm -hmm. And it's like this universal QR code or just a QR code that lives somewhere on the product that tells you how to dispose of it. It's a big ask because you're saying, hey, let us live on something physical. But as we've seen time and time again with all types of labels, this one feels you could design it in a way that respects and integrates your ethos. Whatever your design aesthetic is, it could live on a non-invasive part of the packaging underneath it. And it's kind of one QR code to rule them all. That I don't know, something like that. I don't know. What do you think? That's a business idea right there. I think we know what your next business idea is. That's it. There's, there are those companies that I might like butcher the name of this one. I think it's Books or Box, but they do a reusable packaging setup. And I believe that there's Rent the Runway did this too, right? They ship you your stuff in a reusable container, no matter the brand, no matter where the package is coming from. And you return that package. You, you have like your replacement label already inside of a sleeve, that feels like an opportunity for them or someone who is trying to like reinvent the world of sustainable packaging, right? Because you could easily include an insert or a QR code because you already are 
by way of in- inserting the mm-hmm. label or something like that. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different folks who could take a piece of this and, and pull it into their business model. And I hope they do. I like your idea a lot. I also think that if I were in sustainable or circular packaging, I would get on that. I would do that. Yeah, it's even that or you could, there's so many ways you could think about another way you could do the plant computer vision approach Mm -hmm. where you have this massive data set that happens to understand what the product is made from. So like the user experience is like click open app that defaults to an open camera. It looks at it and it makes some set of assumptions within some degree of accuracy. Hey, it's made of this. I know where you live based on your IP address. <laughs> yeah. You should put it in this bin. There's so many people. We just had, uh, oh my God, total boss, woman Heidi. She is a director on the Sacramento Municipal Utility Board. Mm-hmm. Apparently it's like massive, like one oh, of the largest sure. in, in the country. But she's trying to pass legislation now that removes the little uh, resin IDs on the bottom of all the plat. Like how BS is that? How many people throw away or put plat- plastic into a recycling bin because they think that little arrow with a two or four inside of it is recycling. But just, there's a lot that needs to, there's a lot of like low hanging fruit here. I also like that idea. I like the concept of doing something with, I don't know if it even is AI, but I, I like your idea that you could basically point and shoot. And I think part of that, I'm like part of what we do very manually is like a lot of products are quote unquote compostable, but they mean municipal compost, not home compost, which is tricky because most people have never been to a municipal compost facility and don't know where one is near them. So the amount of time we spend looking that up for folks is not insignificant. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's very much a part of our value prop. I don't care if you've purchased something from us or not. You can DM us and ask us to help you get rid of something. Like, we will help. But I I think there's room for an app to do that where you could basically point and shoot. It would tell you what kind of material it was. It would tell you where the nearest place to drop it off would be. Just like that would be helpful. It would be helpful to know what hours they're open. It would be helpful to then pull it up in Google Maps. What an easier experience than Googling endlessly. Mm -hmm. Because in my experience, compost facilities don't have state-of-the-art websites (laughs) that tell you everything you need to know. Right. Uh, Sorry for taking this off the rails. I want to come back to how you're thinking about the future at Goldoon. One of my favorite questions, especially when talking to founders this early in the journey, is what the moonshot looks like. Stars align. Mm What does the what's the moonshot here? Where is Goldoon in years to come? Is there like what is that major milestone moment where you think to yourself, "Ha, like check, we we did it." What does that look like for you? Oh my gosh, I can't imagine ever checking something and being like, "We did it." Maybe that's a, a personality flaw, character flaw of mine. I don't know if I'll ever be happy, but I do think that it's grown for me, especially the last few weeks. Even like it, it's grown from obviously just wanting to be the best, the brightest, the most inclusive, most accessible, sustainable retailer there is to now with what we're doing, it's much more community focused and community driven than I think I could have possibly understood pre-launch, which is fine, fair. I didn't know. It was very nervous about if anyone would even build it and they will come. I was like, I'm not sure that they'll come. (laughs) So some people came and and the people who came are super invested in and excited about what we do and want to talk to us on a daily basis and want to like we pick a book club book for the month, like a sustainable read, and they're Instagramming it a week later because they picked it up. And that's like a deep connection. And I, I feel super inspired by that right now. And we've been focusing on it a lot and trying to build out more resources for that community and, and to make them <laughs> aware of how much they mean to us. But I think now, like, I want to get millions of people who 
weren't excited about sustainability or weren't interested in it. I want people who didn't feel welcome in the climate movement, in the sustainability movement to feel welcome. I want them to feel warm. I don't want them to feel judged or shamed for what they haven't done or how long it took them to get there. I just want them to have a place to start and to get started that feels honest and open and accessible and hopefully also inclusive and <laughs> God willing, not granola. I'm, I'm sticking with my guns on that one. But I, and to me, that could take all sorts of forms, right? That means retail, but it, it also means other things. And it means more community oriented programs. And I like to think a little bit about kind of what Patagonia has done and not in that, like, I hate when brands are like, we're the Uber of X, right? I don't want to say that, but if I had to say that, <laughs> I would say, I want to be like this Patagonia-esque force for millennials and Gen Z in particular who are trying to find a way or a vehicle or a space to get involved or to enter and haven't found it yet and need someone to be the welcome wagon. Oh, I love that. One more question before I ask my favorite send-off <laughs> is in the near term, new categories you're excited about. If I go to your website now, I highly recommend it. If you go to golddune.com, you really, the, the depth in each of the categories you've brought online is pretty significant. I'm in personal care now. You can see robes, toothpaste tabs, toilet paper, hair bands. You've, you can get anything and everything in the categories you've brought online. I'm curious to see what can we expect to see come online in the next year, two years, what does that look like for you? That's very nice of you. Thank you. I think growing the assortment and making sure that we have everything someone would need from maybe like a conventional non-sustainable retailer, that's the thing I'm the focused on or <laughs> maybe more aptly like the most insecure about. it. I guess the reality of bringing on new product is for folks who don't have an extensive vetting process or who don't have a lens or a criteria through which they evaluate product, Besides, is this a brand fit? It's a lot easier to bring on retailers really fast or, or to bring on brands really fast or to bring on product really fast. And for us, not only is there a, a scouring and a hunting of the web that's happening, <laughs> we also then have to, if we find someone, go through this sort of longer like courting process with them to make sure that it's not a greenwashing thing and like the products are a fit. So getting things up on the site definitely takes longer than my like instant gratification brain wants it to. So lots of things are coming. <laughs> working on them for a while. I think Goldune design and creative product is coming sooner than sooner than you might think. Probably by the time this episode airs, we're probably a few days away if I'm correct. But those have been really fun to make. And we actually made them with our community. We designed them in Instagram stories. So we let folks like actually pick exactly what they wanted to see from us and actually co-design it. And it was really fun. Like people got to play designer for a day. I had, I, I was expecting like a light response or like some moderate enthusiasm, but people sent me Pantones, like people sent me swatches of fabric that they'd been collecting from eBay, like old wallpaper, just the amount of stuff <laughs> we received in, in feedback as we were designing, particularly these sponge cloths. And I've saved the highlights on Instagram. So if you ever want to look at them, you can see exactly what we designed, but those and, and compost bins, we really designed together. So that's been really fun. And those things are coming soon. And I imagine to me, now it feels so stupid to design a product and not have your community or your customers literally design it with you. And tell you what they want. Because besides the fact that makes good <laughs> business sense, I would say from a sustainability standpoint, 
as we're creating product, even if it is quote unquote, a sustainable product, we're still putting stuff out into the world. If I don't know that there are a bunch of people who really want this thing and it's going to make their lives easier or a little kinder to the planet, or they're super stoked about it, then why would I run thousands of years of inventory, right? Like that's not very responsible. So that's been also just a great sustainability insurance policy. So those things are coming. And I, I think the home category in particular is going to grow sooner rather than later. We'll bring on some cookware made of things like recycled aluminum, really try to grow kitchen a little bit more. We see that people are searching for kitchen products that they can't find. <laughs> so I'm working on sourcing those. I'm, I'm seeing what people are searching for and, and trying to hunt it down, but it's a lot. It's, there's all sorts of things, but I would say we've done it like a few sort of pop-ins in the sustainable snack arena, and those have been super fun. And there is a surprise coming that way soon, but our primary focus will still always be home life medicine cabinet and home in particular is, is about to grow a lot. Let's go, Isola. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. So I, I saved this question for the very last one in all of our interviews. And I, I'm curious which way you take it. Because so the question is, one idea that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but is rotting away in your idea graveyard. And so I want to add a footnote to mm -hmm. that because if helpful, if useful, <laughs> it could be a product that you that you're R&Ding, that's coming out of the Goldoon mm -hmm. family or outside of Goldoon. This one thing that at some point in your life you'd love to revisit, but I'll let you take it whichever way you feel most inclined. Okay. Honestly, the idea we discussed earlier is pretty hot to trot. So that's definitely in my brain. This like, how could we on the tech side, at least automate some of the – I don't want to say just automate a piece of that sort of like holistic or sustainability oriented care or instruction or like product knowledge. That's one, though I don't think that's as much of a crazy pipe dream so much as we could we could obviously get it done <laughs> if we had more hours in the day. What a good question on product. Oh man, it changes all the time. And I, I really am very responsive to what I see people searching for. Again, because I don't see the point in putting more stuff out into the world for stuff's sake if it's not what customers want. But People are searching a lot for kitchen utensils, particularly like, this is so silly. Maybe this is also because I came from Food52 where we literally made kitchen utensils, but people are searching for a lot of things that typically come made in plastic, like spatulas and, and all of that great stuff. And I'm thinking about there are so many DTC cookware brands out there in the world, too many, and I say that with love. <laughs> But I'm, I'm thinking a lot about what about the rest of the kitchen? What about sustainability at the core of that? So what would it look like to make a kitchen utensil set or a kitchen set that was actually made fully of recycled materials and materials that had an end of life that was kind and not landfill or not doomed to the recycling bin that we know it's not actually going to get recycled in. And I don't know what material that is. <laughs> Thinking a lot about that. And then also, I think this is not really related to Goldoon, but do you remember when there was all that controversy around like the Chipotle bowl and the sweet green bowl and how they weren't actually biodegradable and like the PFAS yeah. issue and, and how they like leach basically PFAs, PFOA, PFTE, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. I think a lot about that. <laughs> I think about what it would look like to actually make single use and single serving products sustainable. So when you go to a coffee shop now and they have 
whatever, like that quote unquote compostable cup, but there's no compost bin on the sidewalk. And so you're just like, what do you do with this? What happens if you go to a coffee shop that has a compostable cup? I said that very optimistically. I don't know exactly if you have that (laughs) coffee shop. I don't right now, but I did in New York City when I lived there. But I don't know. I I feel like that area, I know there's a lot of people who are working on that, but that area is so ripe for the taking, right? If we do insist upon single-use takeout containers and single-use coffee cups and all of that stuff, which I I frankly don't think we should. I don't see why we don't upgrade to reusables. But if we do insist on it, and it seems we do, why not actually make something better? (laughs) So I don't know how to do that. I don't have the background of product development. I can't engineer material at all. Like I'm an internet person and that's about it. But I would love to see that. I would love to do that. And that I don't think actually is related to Goldune at all because I don't see us opening a coffee shop anytime soon. (laughs) Wow. I love it. Zora, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final (laughs) call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. Thank you so much. That's so nice of you. I'm noodling on it. I think if, if any of the above sounds cool, any of the things we talked about sound intriguing or you're like someone who's interested in sustainability but doesn't want to wear hemp sandals for the rest of your life, definitely check us out. We're your people. And yes, this year, we hopefully we will be fundraising. We will be hiring all of the things like our DMs are open, our email inbox is open. We're don't be shy. Say hi. It doesn't matter if you have something to say or not. We're here and we're excited to meet you. Zora, I just want to say a huge congrats on having the courage to take the leap in the first place, accidentally or not. <laughs> and congrats on everything you've been able to accomplish. I'm seriously, I'm so impressed. I can't wait to cheerlead for years and years to come. And I'm excited for round two once some of these new products come online to golddune.com. Thank you so much. And hopefully next time we're talking because you've launched your new business, which is <laughs> <laughs> the whole end of life business. So can't wait to interview you then. <laughs> Yeah, Azora, you're the best. Thank you again. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again, and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.